Here it is, a groove slightly transformed, just a little escape from the norm. It's episode two of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, our exploration and possibly celebration of the cinematic works of the Pinoy Peter Lorre, Vic Diaz. My name is Liam O'Donnell. I want to welcome you here to this stellar second episode where we will be discussing the mostly forgotten film, White Force. Uh, White Force is a 1988 Australian-Philippines film directed by Eddie Romero, the man, and starring Sam Jones, who you may know as Flash Gordon, and Kimberly uh, Pastone? 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 I'm not sure. Screenplay concerns an undercover agent accused of murdering his partner, but before we jump in, let me go ahead and welcome my man Doug, my co-host, my podcasting partner, my... Frenemy, uh, back to the show. Doug, how are you doing? Liam, I'm doing so well. You know, it's so interesting to be on this side of the table. I mean, obviously, we're not actually sharing a table. We're in different parts of the world. Um, and in fact, we couldn't even visit each other if we wanted to right now because the world has gone crazy. Now, at the time that people are listening to this, it might be uh, better, but most likely it's gotten worse. So uh, just just letting you know that right now it seems really bad, but uh, uh, if you're listening to it, it's probably even worse than we feel like it is, and how it feels is not good. Wow, that was a real bummer of a. Of a I was. I Sorry. thought you, I thought you were going to switch <laughs> to something positive. Be like, I'm sure by the time you're hearing this, things are starting to look up, which is of course would be a lie. But at least it would feel good to say. Well, um, look, what's what's worse, Liam? A, a prediction from the past to say things are likely improved when they're actually terrible, or things having improved and you're hearing someone with being doom and gloom, and you're like, look at this Joker. It got so much better after that thing that he said. No, so right. I'm 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 erring on the side of things being terrible. And that's never failed me in the past. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I will go ahead and say, like, hopefully someone is even listening to this because the way things are going right now, it's hard to say. And and, and I will say, if you are, thank you for, for taking time out of your doomsday prepping, uh, your battling in the market for TP, your... Um, patrolling your neighborhood to make sure everyone is properly washing their hands or death. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to listen to uh, our silly podcast in which we talk about uh, all kinds of weird movies. And today we're definitely talking about a weird movie. Um, uh, I just want to say uh, it is kind of fun to like joke about this thing, but um, I really, ho- I really do hope everyone who's hearing this is like taking care of themselves, taking this thing seriously, washing properly, um, as someone who is immunocompromised, when I see all my friends uh, who are taking this very seriously, uh, really sort of, uh, you know, distancing and doing the things they need to do to be safe, I very much appreciate it. Uh, you know, in my area, there's not really a lot of infected folks, we think. <laughs> but right. uh, until there's tests, I'd like us all to pretend like everyone has it. And we're trying to be careful because I just and think I'm- that makes sense. And I mean, let's throw out some props to the people working on the front lines. I, yes. I don't just mean, I mean, certainly doctors, nurses. I mean, th- those are the the folks who are getting a lot of cred right now, but also the people who are manning stores, gro- grocery stores, you know, making go- going out there and working and putting themselves at risk for literally minimum wage and sometimes even less. I mean, really, yeah. <laughs> hopefully 
if nothing else good comes of this whole situation, it will be a recognition that these people are a lot more valuable than they've been treated in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's worth thinking about how many people whose jobs have been deemed essential are not making enough money to live anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's something to think about. This is, again, this isn't a politics podcast, but <laughs> I will say it is it is true. In a world like the one we're living, you know, I, I always felt before like, well, I don't want to do a podcast that's about anything too serious because I don't want to pretend like I know anything. But now in a world that feels in crisis, I'm like, I probably need to start a show that's about something serious just so I have a place to vent all these negative feelings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should also throw out here, by the way. Now there are a lot of people who have a lot more time at sure, home now, yeah. uh, and they're looking for ways to keep themselves busy, to keep themselves entertained. Uh, I'm not sure if White Force is the movie that's going to do that for you, but if you do want to check it out, it is available to watch for free on Tubi.tv. That's T-U-B-I.tv. Uh, it is available on DVD as well, but I mean, it, the, the easiest way to see it right now is on Tubi. Uh, it, you can watch it free with ads right now. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate that plug. And again, after this episode, you might not actually follow that. But I will say that Tubi <laughs> actually has a lot of interesting things. So maybe mm-hmm. white, maybe white force isn't your choice. But um, there's a few other things on there that I think are worth your time to check out, uh, even if they're not the greatest. They're interesting uh, pieces of it, cinema I've history. Heard, I've heard several times that that browsing the Tubi library is the closest thing to browsing the VHS shells of, of like the late 80s, early 90s, of maybe our youths. Uh, and it really is, just because there is so much random weirdness and just endless... If you just want trash horror movies, you can just watch them all day long and you will never run out. Uh, and I'm, yeah. you know, I got my ear to the ground on the ultra-low budget stuff, and there's still dozens and dozens of movies I've never heard of on there. Uh, I, I also know, thanks to the reporting of some good friends, that they all they have uh, all of American Gladiators on there. So for some of you, that's a little <laughs> bit of nostalgia that you, you would love to indulge in, and I support you. Um, so th- as we said, this is the second episode of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, part of the Cinema Smorgasbord family. And we, we kind of covered on that first episode why we decided to do a Vic Diaz podcast. Uh, and one of the things we mentioned was not just uh, – Vic Diaz's career itself, but the ways that his career spans the work of a number of different filmmakers. Um, when we started this podcast, we thought this gives us a chance to explore kind of realms of film, geographic places that films were made, uh, and all kinds of movies that maybe we were wholly unfamiliar with. Now, again, I'm not sure if we're going to end up endorsing White Force, but uh, it is worth mentioning that this White Force was directed by um, the 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 maestro eddie romero uh Mm -hmm. uh, classic of filipino classic director of filipino cinema directed all manner of filipino films um and so i think it was worth taking time to mention him a little bit before i jump into some of the his biography i just wanted to ask you real quick doug are you familiar with eddie romero Did did you know about him before watching this movie and do you have any favorite eddie romero movies I mean, I, I saw the Machete uh, Maidens Unleashed documentary, and even before then, I had seen, I think, two of the Blood uh-huh. Island films. So, yeah, I was certainly familiar with his, um, like, like Roger Corman-adjacent output in the 1970s. So, but those, I mean, outside of that, not really. I mean, one of the things we talked about on the first episode was this giving us an opportunity to investigate an area of filmmaking that certainly I have very little experience with outside of these kind of 
classic exploitation movies of the 1970s. We're even in this episode, you know, we're moving into sort of the more action-y oriented uh-huh. films coming out of the Philippines in the 1980s. And I've seen a few of those, but uh, it, it certainly is it's kind of well outside my wheelhouse. But I'm even more excited to go back, you know, go back into the 60s and even the 50s. And these are films that... I just I really don't have any like, like here you see that there's an a, a, attempt to reach out to the West with a you know recognizable star and uh, and everyone speaking English but going back even further that's where it's going to get exciting because who knows what we might find. I appreciate that, Doug, and I, and I agree. I think um, for me, Eddie Romero, I, I really just knew him like you said from Machete Maidens Unleashed, and specifically the one movie of his that I'm very familiar with is. Black Mama, White Mama, because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we talked about it on here, but I, I guess we did the last episode of this this particular podcast that I'm a pretty big Pam Greer fan, and so I've, I've sure. tried to search out her movies. Uh, Romero actually co-produced one of the first Filipino horror films, 1959's Terror is a Man, uh, which was directed by his friend and fellow director uh, Gerardo de Leon, um, who, with whom he would later uh, co-direct other films. Um, Romero uh, was also known for a, a few war movies, and, and I'm getting a lot of this from Wikipedia if you guys want to look it up and read the larger article. But in the 1960s, he directed Lost Battalion, uh, Raiders of the Lady Gulf, uh, The Walls of Hell, um, and, and, and a number of Tagalog films, um, as well as English language films. Uh, like I said, I know Black Woman, my, Black Mama, White Mama. Other people might know other English language films like Beast of the Yellow Knight, uh, mm-hmm. The Woman Hunt. Beyond Atlantis. Savage Sisters is the one that I always think oh, of. Oh, yeah. Savage Sisters. So the ones I've actually seen are Black Mama, White Mama, and Savage Sisters. Um, I haven't gotten to see Twilight People or Beast of the Yellow Knight, though they've been recommended to me in the past. Um, and he worked with actors like John Ashley and Pam Greer, as we said. Um, you know, he received the National Artist Citation in the Philippines, um, where his work was described as uh, delivering in an utterly simple style, minimalist but never empty, always calculated, precise, and functional but never predictable. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's interesting description. Uh, I I like his uh, uh, like I said, I've seen Black uh, Black Mama, White Mama, and Savage Sisters. I've also only been able to check out one, but I have checked out one of the Blood Island films um, in the 1960s. He directed Brides of Blood, Mad Doctor of Blood Island, and Beast of Blood and Beast of Blood from 1970 is the one that I've I've managed to see, which, uh, you know, technically I guess that means I'm out of order, but they they're more thematically related than <laughs> yeah, that's related. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, he was named National Artist of the Philippines in 2003, uh, and a lot of his work delved into history and politics of the country in a way that I think meant a lot to Filipinos. I mean, sure, like for us we're probably more exposed to his exploitation slash horror output, but um, his 1976 film, uh, Ganito Kami Noon, um, it is uh, about the history of the country as well as, uh, oh no, this is all one name, uh, Gamiti Kami Noon, Pano Kayo Nagayan. Sorry for my horrible pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> set at the turn of the 20th century during the revolution against the Spaniards and later uh, American colonizers, follows a native peasant through the leaps of faith to become a member of an imagined community. Um, which I love that he, not only is he directing uh, these exploitation films, which by the way, all of which had politics in them. If, if anyone's paying attention during Black Mama, White Mama, obviously that's a... That's a uh, an awkward attempt by a Filipino director to cash in on race relations in America. However, it's also a format in which there's a direct relationship made 
rightly or wrongly, between those those sort of political struggles in America and what was going on in the Philippines. And 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 that's one of the reasons I like that movie, as well as uh, not just Savage Sisters, but the movie Savage, which he, I don't think he directed that, but is another one of those sort of uh, movies that's combining the Philippines with black exploitation struggles. <laughs> um, anyways, I, I, I really relish this opportunity uh, to watch an Eddie Romero film and talk about it. Now, is White Force <laughs> or his other... 80s he did a couple of 80s action movies actually mm-hmm. um and i guess this was sort of the the filipino uh thing part two right like there had been a huge sort of burst of films uh in the 70s in the philippines uh, especially because of people like roger corman and then it actually died off for a while and came back again in the 80s as like we need places to make these very cheap very lo-fi action films that we can just put on vhs and make yeah. that vhs money um, i mean I certainly they all seem to be i mean for the most part in the wake of a rambo you know first blood part two and and the vietnam movies that were getting very popular in the 80s there were tons and tons of of Vietnam uh, related uh, action movies and war movies made in the Philippines in the 1980s. This isn't one of them, but you can certainly see how they would use that as a location. Sure, sure. Um, and and I do think there's some interesting stuff that we're going to get into. But um, I want I just wanted to you know this episode we've already talked a bit about Vic Diaz. I thought this was a cool opportunity to lift up Eddie Romero and and really you know say to our audience if if you're only familiar with a couple of of Eddie Romero films, he had a pretty broad career. He did a lot of historical drama in the Philippines. He did some artistic and political films. He even did a 13-part series based off a very popular uh, National Heroes novel. Um, and so I, I really want to encourage uh, folks to check out more of his stuff. And, and, and I will too, because as I said, I'm really only familiar with three or four of his movies. And, and in doing the research for this episode, I discovered that he had a, a much more interesting career than I was aware of. Um, so... Uh, before we take our break and talk about White Force, I did want to ask a little bit of you, Doug, just to sort of set the context here, how you feel about these, you know, this is this is a low-budget action film from 1988. Mm-hmm. Just saying those words for a certain age person who was renting films, <laughs> you know a certain amount about this movie. You know a little bit of what, what this movie is. And one of the things that I think I know about you, but I'm not sure, is I feel like you have an affinity for this kind of film, or at least an experience with this kind of film. It's it's interesting because as the 90s came around, my taste went more to Asian action films. Um, but in the 1980s, of course, it was all about those big, muscular, all-American heroes, you know, typified by Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris and Michael Dudikoff and Jean-Claude Van Damme. I know that not all of those names are actually American, but they represented a certain kind of jingoism in the 1980s. And yeah, look, even though I'm Canadian and even though uh, a lot of what these movies were uh, politically about was very foreign to me, I was buying into it hook, line, and sinker. And I could totally have seen myself picking White Force off the VHS shelf, taking it home, and watching it. And one of the questions I had while I was watching it was, how different was this movie from the kind of action movies I was watching in the late 80s and early 90s, that, you know, when I was like 10 or 11 or 12 years old, uh, to the point where, where I would have noticed that there's something different about it, that it is a Filipino, you know, at its core, action movie. And uh, I'm still struggling with that a little bit because the things that we're going to talk about after the break 
are things that, you know, the, the things that might grate at me now, the things that I might really have trouble getting past when it comes to enjoying a movie, maybe when I was a little bit younger and uh, maybe not as savvy in regards to the process of making movies, I would have just let them slide right by. But boy, we this movie has some flaws and we're going to talk about them. Well, let's go ahead and take a break before we dive into both uh, the flaws and the charms of this <laughs> film. Uh, we'll be right back. White Force. Right. Starring Sam Jones as Johnny Quinn. Yes, it's just you and me, little buddy. First, he bends the rules. Then he breaks them. White Force. Johnny Quinn has been set up by a drug lord and must find a way to clear his name before the bad guys and his own agency put him in the ground. It's 1988's White Force, directed by Eddie Romero, written by Henry Tefei, starring Sam J. Jones, who, you know, I just, you know, it's Flash Gordon, uh, Kimberly Pistone, Tim Hughes, Raul Aragon, Jamie Fabregas, and Vic Diaz. I'll be honest, I just read a bunch of those names just so I could get to Vic Diaz. <laughs> uh, White Forces is, you know, it's a low budget, uh, shot in the Philippines, action movie, you know, uh, really about a guy who I cannot tell what exactly his role is. You know what I mean? So when you read this description, Johnny Quinn has been set up by a drug lord. Okay, so what does Johnny Quinn do again? Like, clearly he's part of some sort of... of, of uh, squad squad <laughs> of some kind but what is the squad like there, it's not why is it why is an american on this squad yeah a very good question a does this movie occur in the philippines everything tells me it does such as all of the filipino people but mm-hmm. a couple key people are white and i don't understand why that is other than like they're trying to sell a movie and that's how they're selling the movie but then um what exactly is our man's role here is he a federal officer is he a police officer is he uh like a drug enforcement officer it's uh liam he's a member of the white force and that's (laughs) okay uh (laughs) um so you know this is really a, a film about the system doesn't believe you are who you are and you have to both defeat the bad guys and clear your name right. uh, specifically you know they think he's killed his partner and so his partner has died trying to reveal a conspiracy and so first he's trying to get the information to clear his name and then eventually when that is pretty clear and not going to work out for him um he's uh trying to stop the conspiracy which is of course about drugs because you know it's an 80s action movie it's almost always about drugs mm-hmm. um but again let's get back to this Really central question. And Doug, you're joking about it, but I know that you're here to solve this for us, <laughs> which is the question, why is this movie called White Force? Go, Doug, now. Answer. Okay, I'm going to try to come up with something here. So it, it, the, the, the words White Force, to my knowledge, are not mentioned in the movie proper. Uh, the the, the uh, squad that Sam Jones is on in this is not called White Force. He is part of some sort of unique government... Um, group that is has been mandated to go out and try to bust, uh, I guess, high-level drug dealers, but that's as much as we know about it. However, the drug that they're looking for does appear to be cocaine, so that's white, so maybe 
that theoretically it's because they're going after cocaine that they're the white force. There also is, of course, the element that Sam Jones is white uh, and <laughs> some of the main characters are white. But I will say that when I mentioned the name of this movie to several people, a lot of their first question was, is this a racist movie? And I'm like, well, not really. It's an action movie about a about drug dealers. And uh, it's actually kind of an action comedy, which, I mean, I, I, I that sounds kind of weird considering what we've talked about so far in regards to it. But it really is. Sam Jones isn't just playing a... Um, uh, like this action movie agent cool guy. He's sure. supposed to be a, a charming rogue, right? Like, a, like an Indiana Jones-ish character. He has this jacket, this bomber jacket he wears the entire movie. And like he he covets this jacket. And when someone tries to take it from him, he gets very upset. But I mean, he's supposed to be, especially in that opening scene, it basically is supposed to echo um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then it leads into sort of a uh, him, him uh, helping POWs as in a Rambo movie, it really is pulling from some of the popular movies of that time. Yeah, there's very much a an element of fun. And in fact, I would say the film sometimes succeeds its at its, you know, the most when he's being goofy. Absolutely. It also sometimes fails the most when he's being goofy. 100%. Um, um, he's not that funny. There's a couple of scenes that are charming, and he can be a little bit charming, but you can tell that it's written in a way where he's supposed to be the funniest guy. He's carrying this movie as the funny guy, uh, and it doesn't really work for him, and it especially doesn't work for him later on with the introduction of uh, the character Wizard. So uh, as part of his, he's on the run. He's got this <laughs> woman helping him uh, who is the daughter of the man he's accused of killing. He eventually convinces her he didn't kill his partner, and so she sort of teams up with him, and he eventually connects with this tech expert slash yeah, like a computer aficionado. Guy, yeah. Yeah, it, he's a weird combo of a computer hacker and a survivalist who has lots of guns. Uh, so uh, Wizard is played by uh, Jamie Fabregas, who I'm assuming is in other things, right? He's like a <laughs> Very, character. a lot of it. Yeah, 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 definitely. He, he kind of reminded me of the prison guard from one of those women in prison movies, the, uh-huh. uh, the uh, warden, rather. Um, he is a ham. He is chewing the scenery as much as he can. He's being ridiculous. At times, he he turns off his accent to this extent that it 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 almost feels like a weird performance. Like like he's doing a caricature of what a Filipino should be in one of these movies. Um, it's such a crazy performance, and and honestly most of the time kind of a funny performance that it makes uh flash gordon look stupid that when flash gordon is trying to be like goofy and funny you're like uh you're no wizard my man you're no wizard <laughs> i mean he, uh, jamie fabregas if that's how you pronounce his name his yeah, career it might be it might be jaime my, my bad if it's jaime fabregas I mean, his career has basically been uh, almost as long as Vic Diaz's and probably doing a lot of similar quirky-ish roles if this particular role is uh, is any example because, yeah, he's uh, he's pitched pretty high. And it's an interesting moment when he gets introduced into the movie because up to that point, even though it does have that kind of comedic element to it, there's nothing really broad that's been introduced. And then you've got this really off-the-wall character who drives around in a van with wizard emblazoned on the side of it. And then they go and they kidnap Vic Diaz's character uh, in a really comedic scene where Vic Diaz is 
uh, like like railing at his son because he dresses too uh, gangsterish or effeminate or whatever, and they have a snake at the table. I mean, there's some really strange things that occur, but the first like 20 minutes, half hour of this movie, you don't really see that coming. Well, our man Sam is trying to be funny, and as the the movie opens with him trying to use humor to 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 uh, um, diffuse some tense situations with sure. W- uh, Guys in the woods with guns. It takes so long for us to find out who these people are supposed to be. It's a really extended scene of him in the woods before he gets to a village and there's explosions and shooting and stuff. Um, and all of that is just kind of goofy and corny. And it's it's not actually funny, but it's also inoffensive. But when you compare it to the later part of the movie where things are truly going off the wall, all of that feels that much more ridiculous, right? Because he could have been, you know... Compared to other parts of the movie, he could have been doing Three Stooges stuff on these guys, and it would have been thematically appropriate with some of what. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, later in the film, um, baddies are knocked out just with a punch. Uh, di- different, different, <laughs> or not even different There's one bad guy. Faint. They just fa- they, they just see faint. a gun and they faint, and they're out, like out for as long as they need to be. It's crazy. It's crazy. Doug, we haven't even really said. We've sort of hinted with some of our <laughs> negative comments. Doug, give me give me your just straight up thoughts, not just about Flash Gordon or about <laughs> Wizard um, or even about our man Vic Diaz because we'll get there in a sec. But what did you think watching this movie? How did this movie land for you? The, whether you're going to enjoy this movie has a lot to do with your expectations going in. And unfortunately, my expectations going in were the – was that it was going to be a little bit more competent than it ended up being. And I don't necessarily blame Eddie Romero for that. Uh, this is a case where there are some technical issues wrong with this movie yes. that I just were, was not able to overcome. Like, when it comes to the set pieces, I could wring enough fun out of that that this would be, you know, not my favorite action movie, but a really fun time killer. And even watching it uh, with with the issues that I'm about to talk about, I still had a lot of fun with it because you know there are there are some really unique and really interesting and also really goofy things in this movie you know that balance that a lot of 80s action movies have but the thing that hurts this movie the most is the sound and i'm yes. not just talking about the fact that the characters are all dubbed um i mean it seems like most of them are dubbed with their own voices and look liam and i we watch a lot of exploitation movies we watch a lot of italian movies i'm sure you've watched a bunch of spaghetti westerns i know i have and a bunch of jolly we're used to dubbed voices in movies we don't find that that distracting it's not something that bothers me that much however the way that the dubbing of the sounds in this movie is is incredibly distracting and the sound effect, and combined with the terrible music as well, the soundtrack in this is absolute dog shit. So it's, you wouldn't think that's, I mean, I guess you know, I was going to say, you wouldn't think sound would be that important, but I'm telling you, it is so distracting in this movie that it makes even the the more competent action sequences seem comical because of how poorly they come off because of the sound. It just really is distracting. It also seems to be very inconsistent from scene to scene. And when you have a character like Sam Jones's character, Johnny Quinn, who's supposed to be this kind of lovable, um, uh, anti-hero-ish type character, but very roguish with a lot of wit, the fact that he's has all these lines that are dubbed and they come off very awkward, it just means that the characters, the performances really suffer because of it. 
and the performances in particular that suffer. Actually, I think Sam Jones comes off pretty well. I, of all the actors in this, I, I think he's the one who doesn't get hurt the most. Uh, Kimberly Pistone, who plays the female lead, she is awful in this. And I've mm-hmm. seen her in other things, and I know that she's not a terrible actress. But here, like, just absolutely horrible. And there is a character, one of the henchmen of the bad guys, played by Mike Monty. Now, Mike Monty has been in tons and tons of exploitation movies, tons of Filipino movies in the 1980s. Here, I was shocked at how bad he is. Like, his performance, because of the dubbing, it's, it's like, below dinner theater level. It is yeah. unbelievably bad. But, I mean, I think it just... It takes away from the intentional fun. For some people, it would probably add a level of unintentional fun, which is fine. But I wasn't... I Even though... I did want that sort of mix. This isn't how I wanted the mix to kind of play out. No. I wanted to be able to wring the unintentional fun from a competent action movie, but because of the technical issues, I just felt distracted the whole time. I got to agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I do think if they had more of a budget, they maybe could have done some more action than they were able to do. There's you know, there's some solid explosions. Sure. There's a really good scene where a car goes off a pier that I really enjoyed. But those are few and far between. Instead, it's a lot of talking in this for a movie that is dubbed, that has <laughs> mostly actors who are not really great at acting. Um, there's a lot of just talking, a lot of talking, and and unnecessary talking because the plot is so simple. Um, it's interesting. You you said people, you know, it, it's easy to hear the name White Force and think that maybe this is some sort of racist film. And for the most part, I would say the movie is not you know racist despite it is making the weird decision to center white people in a movie that is clearly <laughs> the philippines like it's impossible uh, and and really other than vic diaz and some of his cop buddies who turn out to be bad cops uh, there's a lot of speaking roles for white folks in this film yes um mm-hmm. the only part that made me feel super awkward and, and i know that you noticed this part too the crazy scene where wizard announces that uh, there's free food on this ship. Okay, like, we got to explain that in a little more detail. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, think, we'll get yeah. to it. So uh, basically, they're, they're, uh, the, our main characters are on a ship. They've been prisoners on the ship, and they're trying to escape. They're trying to create a distraction. And, and it's, it's docked. That, that's it's important. It's docked at, at the at the pier, and there's it's filled with henchmen. There's just guys with guns mm. everywhere. And so Wizard's way of creating a distraction so they can get off the ship is he just goes out onto the deck <laughs> to where there are all these people just sitting around the pier, and he yells, there's free lunch on the boat. Come get some free lunch. It's delicious. And there's just a horde, almost like a zombie horde yeah. of young Filipino folks clamoring onto the, sh- the ship despite there being visible machine guns because yes. they want free food. And um, I think the intention of the joke there is actually just about how people are hungry. And, and it's yeah. the kind of humor that people can make about themselves. I mean, Eddie Romero directed this movie and he is Filipino. So it's okay. It's just awkward because there are so many white people in this movie. And because I'm imagining white audiences, not seeing this as like uh, a slightly sly, but also a little condemning comment about how hard it is to be poor and how hungry you are. Sure. And mm-hmm. more as a comment on Filipinos or yeah. they might not even know this is in the Philippines. Just, these brown people you know what i mean um and so that kind of bummed me out you know it's it's kind of like how uh 
there's a number of movies you could watch or, or or television shows where you know where the joke is coming from and what the intention is, but you also know how easy it would be for an audience to take it out of context and think something different entirely. And that's how I felt about that scene is like, oh, buddy, no, that's that's not playing the way you think it's going to play, man. It's 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 super awkward. <laughs> it is a really weird sequence. I mean, it, it would work a lot better if they all rushed the ship before they could see that there were people with guns, at least at that right. point, right? But, I mean, it makes it seem like that they are so focused on the possibility of free food that they're throwing themselves into these, this really dangerous situation. And, I mean, it's people of, of I mean, yeah, mostly young male Filipinos, but I mean, lots of people just just pouring onto it while our lead characters sort of use it as a diversion to escape. Uh, it is something that that I mean, I'm I mostly pass it off instead of the kind of unpleasant racial overtones that it was mostly just this goofy moment that we're not supposed to take so seriously. But you could certainly, just as you said, it's it you could easily read into it some rather insidious things. But Liam, I do want us to talk about. My favorite thing about this movie, okay, which which is the MacGuffin, which is the sure. laser disc that sure. is at the center of this movie. So just to explain this briefly, <laughs> so as we know, Sam Jones's character, he has been uh, framed basically into uh, having murdered his partner, but his partner had been collecting information about these high level drug dealers and had put it on a quote unquote laser disc. Now Liam. What does the laser disc look like in this movie? Nothing. <laughs> no. I mean, it's it like looks, a copper coin sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a it looks like uh the yeah, like it could be the smallest version of a CD, I guess, but it's like kind of yeah. thick. It's kind of thick and metallic. It it really does look like a token from a video game place. So, so this is this thing that they're all going after and at one point uh, the lead character encounters Wizard, the computer hacker guy, to get the information off of this. And he takes this coin, basically, and puts it into a floppy drive directly. And, of course, he can't get any information on it. Oh, no. So what he does, because Sam Jones comes up with this theory that, uh, I mean, I, it's so crazy, about using wax as a way to filter out imperfections. They... Uh. they they spray wax onto this disc and then put it back into the floppy drive and that works and they can read all the information out of it. It is, I mean, it is one of those great things about certain 1980s movies that uh, intersect with technology where people have no idea how that technology no works. Clue. And that, I mean, I still loved it, right? Because it is this really wacky, um, the, I think we're at this point in the year 2020 and probably for the last 20 years or so, we're savvy enough about computers because they're so integrated into our lives that this is something that could never happen in a movie. But this was just at that point where you could still do it and no one would bat an eye until it went out into the public. And you can even imagine like total nerds in the 1980s watching this and saying, what are you doing? But it's, I mean, it, it, it does end up being the big MacGuffin of the entire movie. And it kind of, it ends up in the good guy's hands. It ends up in uh, a false a heel in a shoe, ends up in someone's pocket, even ends up with Vic Diaz at some point almost gets dropped down a well by a by a <laughs> african character who uh is bargaining for a jacket and a gun uh it's <laughs> it's a weird scene it's a very weird scene mm-hmm. <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah uh that 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 was a strange moment there's also um a character did you find the name of this uh, martial arts character in the film 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he's Sing Tong Sai, I believe. He plays yeah. a character in this called Bak Su. So he's apparently like a hired gun martial arts guy that has been sent after our good guys in the movie. He doesn't show up and until towards the end of the film. And when he does, it's a total waste. He lands on the top of vehicle, does a minimal amount of fighting, and then gets tossed off and impaled. And I just watched that scene thinking, what was the point? I I kind of assumed he must have been a known figure for that to have even had any, you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. doesn't seem to have any narrative impact on the movie at all. He doesn't have any kung fu fights. No. Right? He doesn't have any martial arts just, fights. there's some I mean, kicking. There's this a little is bit a, kicking. A, I mean, he was a known martial arts actor in the 1970s and 80s. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his work, but certainly his credits are pretty extensive. So you got this guy here. He's being shown to be this badass, but we never get to see him do anything. He jumps on the top. He jumps off this kind of overhanging bridge, jumps on top of the van that they're on. He almost gets shot because he's just attached, like like hanging onto the top. He tries to wrestle with them a little bit, and then he gets thrown off the side of the van and impaled on a truck that's driving by. Which, by the way, is the most gruesome part of this movie by, uh, I think, a pretty significant Yeah, there's, there is no other gore in the film except for that part. I mean, someone gets stabbed in, in a torture scene at the beginning. But, I mean, it, it, it you know, most of the violence in this is pr- the, the bloodless explosion kind. So that leads me into, into a question. I really brought that up to get to something else. Because my theory on the, the misuse of this martial arts actor is because of... Uh, you know how lame Sam Jones is. I know you just said he doesn't come <laughs> off as bad as some of his 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 co-stars, but you know the level of quality of this film that's not really saying too much because that's so enough. much stuff is so bad here. And to me, you know, I again, not to, I know I keep bringing it up and it might be annoying people, but I you know I fucking love Flash Gordon, man. Like uh, you know I'm, I'm a big fan, and uh, I don't you know. I don't really know what happened to our man here, and and I know you you, you sort of defended some of his performance here, but I, but I had to ask you about this, Doug. Like he just seems really lame to me in this movie. It, again, <laughs> any sort of uptight white guy thrown into this sort of Filipino movie where he's just making dumb jokes and shooting things, and and really doesn't get. Uh, I mean, I guess there are scenes where maybe he thinks he comes across badass, but but in my world. I- he doesn't seem we, badass the whole movie. So I'm just wondering, what happened to Flash Gordon, man? So I think that, again, I do think that part of the difficulty here has to do with the technical limitations of this movie. And it's also the idea of a charismatic action hero. For those who didn't live through the late 1980s, the comparison, you know, you're dealing with your Steven Seagal's and your Jean-Claude Van Damme's and your Michael Dudikoff's, not exactly the most charismatic gentleman on the planet. I do think that Sam Jones does have a certain level of charisma that he has shown in other movies and that is on display to some extent here. But I do think it's mostly that he's hampered by a script that isn't very good, that is kind of confusing, a lot of really bad dialogue, and the fact that almost all of his dialogue appears to be dubbed. I just feel like in this movie, he makes Van Damme look like diehard Bruce Willis. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's tall, though. I mean, those in that's some of those true. group settings, I think he's 6'3". I had to look it up afterwards. I mean, you know, he's in a, this, these uh, teeming rooms full of people, and he's just towering over anyone else, trying to hide from bad guys. Yeah. Like, literally the only white guy in the entire room who's basically head and shoulders above everybody else that's standing around him. He really only gets a few kind of actiony set pieces, and and hmm. he just seems so awkward in them that That's I'm like, true. well, I guess what he brings to the table is not his, you know, sort of 
uh, uh, martial chops, whatever that might be. But uh, <laughs> but but he brings like a charming, swaggering American ness to it, and he doesn't. He doesn't do that. And so I just think for me, I was kind of surprised. I figured if anything, he could, you know, be a, a charming fellow. That that would be what this movie was kind of about. And I just think there's a lot of time trying to make him seem tough as well as silly and he's not tough he never comes off as tough the entire film there's no masculine sort of uh like testosterone overload uh and i get that this was the style at the time right at a time where people are for some reason paying to see some of the action stars you know like a steven seagal or whatever that that seeming like some sort of badass is 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 appealing but he can't pull it off man that's just not him i don't think the one thing that's really missing here is a sequence where he gets his ass beat by the bad guys right Right, i mean even when he gets captured he's basically just put in a room where he's then able to escape and while the the female lead is the one who gets tortured in kind of a unique way but i mean it's like there's always a scene in any of these movies where he gets either tortured or beaten up really, really bad. I mean, he does get shot near the end of the movie, though he doesn't sell it very well. But there's, you know, he he really does come off as nearly invincible, which makes it difficult to care about his plight for much of the movie. He doesn't even walk on glass, man. Like, do the minimum. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're, we're coming down pretty hard on this film, which is understandable, and, and, and I'm not even inclined to apologize for that because, you know... Uh, there's not a lot to be stoked on, but I do want to spend some time talking about our man, Vic Diaz. Vic, yeah. uh, he plays, again, are they police? Are they drug enforcement agents? Are they federal agents? Are they federales? I don't know. But he is uh, ahead in the department that uh, Flash Gordon is in with these other guys who all turn out to be dirty, uh, which doesn't really speak well to Vic Diaz's leadership skills. But still, <laughs> uh, what did you think of his performance in this film? I wish we got a little bit more of the color that we get in that breakfast scene. However, that is not saying I want more scenes of his family because uh, I already mentioned some weak performances in this movie. That scene is straight out of something like The Room. I mean, all the, the, the voiceovers are horrible kid actors and they're referencing this ridiculous snake that's in there. But at least that's unique and kind of fun. The problem is that Vic Diaz's character is supposed to be the gruff, humorless police captain character, basically. Uh, even though that you know he's he's a he's leading up this group that we don't really know what it is, but that's kind of the role that he's playing. And this is a guy who excels, from what I've seen, at playing quirkier and more interesting roles. And here he's being asked to play it straight, so there isn't really a lot to talk about. I do like the the, the part where he escapes from the van by. Uh, <laughs> sliding out the back of it on a mattress as a way to escape. I also have to say I'm still kind of confused about the ending of this movie and what his character has discovered that allows him to now trust Sam Jones's character. Uh, because up to that point, he is one of the people who believes that that character, that uh, Johnny Quinn, um, it was responsible for the death of his partner and he wants to arrest him. He at one point is given the disc, the laser disc, which has the pertinent information, and he sends it to his computer guy, but that computer guy gets, I guess, killed, uh, and that and the the laser disc gets retrieved before he can ever see what's on it. We see him go look for the computer guy, but there's never any resolution for for why he figures out who the bad guys are. Uh I think it's the fact that um 
he there's some suggestion that he knows that one of his men was around the computer guy because he immediately wants to see that guy and now that guy is a corpse at the crime scene so i think that combo of facts plus the massive amounts of drugs at the crime scene sort of suggests that uh that you know that we can trust flash gordon yeah it's i mean yeah you put those pieces together at the very least it shows that he's mixed up in something where there's a lot of people at fault but it, it then it then leads into that very strange moment where he basically tells one of his men because uh sam jones's character has been shot to put him in the car i guess with the idea that they're going to bring him to the hospital but then the lead Female character, I shouldn't keep saying female, Nikki is the, the character, the daughter of the person that he was accused of killing. She wants to get in the car with him, so she keeps making this excuse that he had her keys for her house, which he didn't have. Then Vic Diaz, he finds the keys on the, the ground, but then he pretends he doesn't have it so she can get in the car with him to fuck him, I guess? Uh, I, I may look. Maybe I just didn't. The interpret whole it right. thing was a no. You're right. That, but this was a running. There was a running sex joke for the last third of the film that didn't quite make sense to me. And then that's sort of the punchline. That's the payoff on the joke. And it does. I just remember it ending, and I was so done with this movie that I just was like. All right, I guess that's. I so, guess so what's the what's the joke? Maybe I just missed it entirely. They kept they kept talking about going to her house after this, right? And so, so this is like the okay. Well, I don't have my keys, but it's like okay. So then, is she going to his house? Like, I don't. I I think the idea is just sufficient, Doug. That they're he's going, bleeding with they're, an untreated wound. <laughs> but he's tough, man. He's real tough. You already said he's six three, so he's basically a giant. So mm-hmm. he can he can fuck while he's bleeding, man. I'm three inches taller than that, by the way, just a heads up. Oh, um, you are actually a monster. <laughs> they need to come up with some sort of ordinance to keep you out of public places. Uh, it, it's just a strange ending. And and then it just goes, the end, right? It's just like, <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> but what did you well, think? Okay, here's what I have to say about this ending. Mm-hmm. To me, what I interpreted that, is, that as is, how do we make a sexy joke without being too explicit because we're not sure maybe what we can get away with. Sure. That's how that felt to me. Um, I guess that's fair enough. But it's also confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's you know, there's a lot of things in the film that don't quite connect, honestly. Um, uh, I mean, even the idea that he murdered his partner, right? The, it's never quite explained why everyone thinks he murdered his partner. Especially because the whole point of the first 20 minutes of the movie is him trying to save his partner. Right? He's gone into this prison camp to try to retrieve him. Certainly someone must have known that's what he was doing. He 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 basically gets back, right, from the mission to be like, hey, I'm back from the mission. And they're all like, yeah, and you killed your partner. And he's like, wait, what did I do? I, I did what? The now? partner was captured by bad guys who were torturing him. Right? I mean, why would they think it was him so as I, opposed to... So right? I, guess, I guess the idea is the partner thought he was dirty. So yes. maybe somehow that information got out. But let's be clear. For this movie to make sense, you, the audience, have to do a lot of connecting the dots. And a lot of that connecting the dots is not entirely justified. You're just sort of guessing. I guess if we're to believe that this is a coherent film that has a plot, then therefore these things must have happened. But I don't know that the film actually tries to answer all of those questions. And I assume that that is all... I mean, this is my feeling as someone who's watched other Eddie Romero films. This is all budgeting issue. He couldn't shoot yes. more than what he had, mm-hmm. so he cut together what he had and he released it as a movie. 
I also get the impression that maybe the sound issues, because every once in a while, it seems like the sound is not dubbed, that maybe there were some recording issues, maybe it was just because of the speed of the film uh, that they couldn't set up miking for a lot of it. I mean, I, but that, I again, that's the thing that was most distracting for me in the movie. I don't think you really gave your thoughts, by the way. What did you think of Vic Diaz in this movie, in his performance? I actually like because he does. Uh, he is playing a straight role, but he has a few of those goofy scenes. Uh, I like it. it. You know, this is an older Vic Diaz, and I get the feeling that maybe some of the goofy scene stealing sort of stuff he was more likely to do in the seventies is harder to do uh, as an older character actor just trying to like get paid. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I still liked him, and I, and I certainly like that he seems to be the only. Uh, really developed Filipino character, if you think about it. I mean, I guess Wizard is another major character, um, but other than him and Wizard, a lot of the Filipino characters are kind of like nameless, faceless people. You know what I mean? Like, they just don't have any personality and they don't really stand out. So I at least like that, like, okay, there's an actor that we know who's not white in this movie who has, like, a real role that matters. Uh, that that felt good, you know? Um, uh, but uh, I agree with you. The problem with that family scene is not the scene itself in the sense of like, it's cool that it's goofy and weird. It's that like, who are the people in this? I mean, when he's dressing down his son, like just reading him for dressing like an effeminate punk rocker, uh, mm-hmm. it's like he's in the scene and then they just have people. His son is responding to him as if he's never seen a film before and doesn't know he's know. supposed to be doing anything. So, uh, if that scene had been with different people, like actual actors, I think it actually would have been really great and would have been a cool part of the movie. It just doesn't really work the way it is. It's also tonally really at odds with the rest of the movie, like how his wife says, do you want me to make a thermos of cocoa? You know, as he's being kidnapped. You know, there's kind of these these winky, funny moments, but that's as, you know, that and the wizard elements are really so kind of explicitly goofy compared to the rest of the movie. By the way, he's being kidnapped in a van that has wizard written on the side of it i know i mentioned that before but it's not exactly <laughs> not exactly uh the, the best way to lay low when you're trying to kidnap someone. i actually so i think i want to disagree with you a little bit i think there's so much goofiness towards the end of this movie that towards I the would, end it does yeah. i would say that the goofiness actually outweighs it so much for me that the stuff that's totally inappropriate is the entire first 20 minutes of the movie <laughs> where and the bad guy because the bad guy is particularly kind of sadistic in the movie I guess I don't know. I I mean I don't know. I I just think that that was less disjointed to me than the than the beginning of the film. But I don't know. Right. Anyways, the point is the movie is disjointed. It has some <laughs> stuff that is fun, but it's hard to get through, mostly for technical reasons, and partly for a few just aspects of the movie that aren't well done. It's not a good movie. No. The, I think depending on what your expectations are going into it that you could still have a lot of fun with it and since it I think is this available could be I think this could be a cool crowd movie I think this could yeah, be a absolutely. cool like exploitation thing like let's say you're at like an exploitation fest and it's been mostly serious movies throw this shit in there and it'll definitely be like a fun time 
Because it's not boring. I think that's right. the thing that we we haven't really gotten across. Even though it doesn't make a lot of sense, even though it's kind of poorly made at times and some of the acting is shaky, it's there's always something happening and it does go from place to place. And also, it's not like a, it's not a very long movie. It's 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 you know it's ninety minutes. It's it's fairly tightly plotted, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I mean, it's it can be a lot of fun with the crowd watching it by yourself at home. Uh, for the purposes of a podcast, maybe doesn't have that same sort of thrill. But at least people can on the cheap have the opportunity to check it out themselves. I just think the the thing about it to keep in mind is that the sound at times is almost unforgivable in how difficult yeah. it makes watching the movie. And for my taste, I really think if, if uh, Flash Gordon had actually shown up for this movie, um, the rest of the poor quality of the film wouldn't matter as much. I think he could carry it. Uh, but, but I just don't think he's there. I don't. I think what we're getting is a dude who seems a little bit bored and who, again, you're right. A lot of it is the script, but I just don't think it's just the script. I just don't think he brings anything to this particular film. Well, I'm not here to defend the honor of Sam Jones. Uh, and, and there's no way you can really argue that he's doing a great job here. It's just whether he's hampered by the circumstance or hampered by his own commitment to the character. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, a... <laughs> That's 1988's White Force. Again, you know, for you uh, 80s action completists, I don't think it's a total waste of time. But if if you're looking for the best in Vic Diaz quality, I, I don't know that this is something you should you should seek out. Though, again, there are plenty of fun things on Tubi. Maybe there's something else for you to watch uh, if you go check it out. So on our next episode of uh, Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, we're going to be talking about 1965's Operation CIA, which features Burt Reynolds. That's right, mm-hmm. the mustache himself. I mean, he might not have a mustache in this movie, but that's just how I think of him. I believe he does not have a mustache in this movie. <laughs> well, then I won't even recognize him. I won't know he's there. You'll have to point him out to me. Send me a screenshot. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we're glad you checked it out. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, we didn't just trash your favorite movie, White Force. Um, but uh, we're glad that you listened, and uh, we hope that you would take the time to check out all of the shows uh, we're doing as part of Cinema Sporgersport. Uh, and Cinema Sporgersport is part of the larger <laughs> Cinepunks. Are you laughing at me trying to say Cinema Sporgersport? <laughs> You're having a little trouble there, Liam, yeah. but you know, it's, it's a tough time in the world right now. <laughs> Thank you for checking out this show, as well as uh, all of the shows that we're doing as part of the Cinema Smorgasbord project. Cinema Smorgasbord is part of the Cinepunks family, a uh, family of podcasts that range from uh, the narrative uh, storytelling of Blacks and Dispatches to the uh, social and uh, cultural commentary of Fat Girl Hacks to... Uh, the main podcast Cinepunks, which is just me and Josh being dumb. So whatever it is that you like, we have something uh, for you to enjoy. Uh, come check us out at Cinepunks.com. Um, you can also follow Cinema Smorgasbord itself. It's Cinema Smorg on Twitter. Uh, there's also a Cinema Smorgasbord uh, discussion group on Facebook uh, that you can find just by searching out Cinema Smorgasbord. And you can uh, also check out our own website, uh, cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, you can follow my man Doug Tilly over here. Uh, I believe it's uh, at Doug underscore Tilly T I L L E Y. That's correct, boy. I'll uh, tell you, you're you're really going full force on these plugs. I thought you were gonna throw some of them at me. No, 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 no. And and you can also follow Cinepunks on Twitter at C I N E P U N X for all of our updates of new shows. Uh, essays, articles, and even special events. We're trying to uh, do some events coming up uh, in a variety of places. So please keep <laughs> really? an eye on that. 
<laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We're in the midst of the we're in the midst of a of a plague, but you know, un- until we get closer to May, I'm going to assume that one of our events is still going to happen. Fair enough. But I could be wrong. Yes, you could. Uh, Liam, there's yeah. so much good content between Cinepunks, between all of the podcast themes under Cinema Smorgasbord. What an exciting time it is! And of course, you forgot to mention that you're on Twitter as well, Liam Rules. That's R U L Z. I don't think I forgot. Pretty sure uh, you did. <laughs> all right well hey thanks for listening uh please hit us up we'd also love for you to give us some feedback you know if you have ideas for other shows we could try um uh topics we could cover uh if there's uh one of our shows that you're hoping covers something specific get in touch if you just want to give us some feedback uh and of course you know uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere else. Uh, let people know about us. Really, word of mouth is how we're going to grow this thing, especially because, you know, Doug doesn't have any art skills, so he won't be able to make any flyers or anything. So uh, we're really just relying on you. Yeah. This is 1978? Yeah. Well, you got yeah. to tell uh, people if about this podcast. Of, if they're fans of Cinepunks, they know that we are in our flyer game. We have flyers all over this country. I guess that's why everybody's talking about Cinepunks. <laughs> oh, God. You better cut all this shit out. You <laughs> All right, thanks for checking us out, and uh, have a great day, night, afternoon, plague, whatever it is. Oh, my God. But I wish them well. Have a good thing that you're doing. Have a good plague. Enjoy your quarantine. Hey, thanks for listening to Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, and enjoy your quarantine. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.